This past week was a lot. On Monday, the district dropped its indoor mask mandate. Then on Thursday, Americans gathered for a nearly normal Thanksgiving. But by night's end, word of a concerning new variant dimmed hopes of controlling this pandemic. Here's what we know so far. Omicron threw the world into uncertainty as the new variant showed a large number of mutations and the potential to evade vaccines and spread fast. Over the weekend, WTOP's John Doman spoke with epidemiologist and professor at University of Texas Houston, Dr. Caitlin Jedalina, about why this new variant sparked worldwide concern. Really, the main reason is how much change we've actually seen on this virus, and specifically change on the spike protein. It has 32 mutations on the spike protein alone, which is an incredible amount of change. You know, as a comparison, Delta had nine changes on the spike protein. And so we need to pay attention to this, particularly because the changes are on the spike protein, and the spike protein is the key into our cells. So if the virus changes to become a smarter key, we need to know about it and so we can effectively fight back. How do the current vaccines already available hold up against this? We don't know yet. Everyone should keep in mind that vaccines are made with mutations in mind. So we make vaccines and our response to vaccines able to recognize a virus from multiple angles. So I think the real question right now is, can this vaccine and even, you know, the booster still recognize those multiple angles and how effectively can they can they see that and so that is really the question we need answered right away in the next couple weeks how much more contagious is this strain so we unfortunately only have very preliminary evidence we're looking specifically at a region in south africa And in just one week, the test positivity rate in that region increased from 1% to 30%, which is incredibly fast. Now, this may be biased a little because now we're looking for this variant and we're testing specifically for this area. The other thing we're watching is, is if we zoom out on South Africa as a whole, we're starting to see cases exponentially increase. Now, we don't know if all of these cases are due to this new variant, but the timing of the explosive spread is suspect. Do we know if it's making people sicker? Yeah, John, you're not going to like any of my answers because we don't know. Um, We don't know. And I think that's really important that we are continuing to contact trace to understand who these cases are. And we'll be watching how hospitalizations start rising as well as looking at an individual case basis. How much will banning travel from South Africa help? No, travel bans don't work. They're not evidence-based. Unfortunately, this variant is already circulating, probably circulating in the United States. We've already seen that it's in Belgium, it's in Egypt, it's in South Africa, um, it's in Hong Kong. So unfortunately, that means it's in the United States. Travel bans really are just a way for politicians to show that we're responding. Unfortunately, they can do a lot of damage, like perpetrate disease-related stigma. So, you know, travel bans not an evidence-based solution unless you stop all travel from every country, which we haven't done. Meanwhile, here in the district, city officials ended the indoor mask mandate last Monday, just two days after bordering Montgomery County brought their mask mandate back. So this week, I also caught up with WTOP's digital editor, Scott Gelman, to review where the greater Washington area stands regarding masks and how differing mask rules are impacting people's lives. 
All right, so Scott, in the last few weeks, the D.C. area has seen a lot of changes to its mask mandate rules. You know, we saw Montgomery flip-flop and we saw D.C. go back to not having masks indoors. So just to start, can you review which municipalities have mask mandates and which don't? So let's start with Northern Virginia and Virginia as a whole. So they are basically saying, and, and Governor Ralph Northam has said, we continue to recommend that people wear masks indoors, even independent of their vaccination status, but it's not going to be required. Montgomery County, Maryland, is the one that's gotten the most attention because they initially tied the indoor mask mandate to a metric, and then they changed the metric. And so they actually just went back to seven straight days of what the CDC calls substantial transmission. That's 50 cases per 100,000 people. And they basically said, when we hit seven straight days of that, we are going to bring our mask mandate back. And so after doing away with their mask mandate for a very short time, their mask mandate is back. D.C. sort of did the opposite. So in D.C., we saw with a little bit of community pressure and without explicitly really providing too much data about what triggered the decision last week on Monday, 5 a.m., indoor mask mandate in D.C. ends, but masks are still encouraged. Those are the, the big heavy hitters. Other places, Anne Arundel County, Howard County in Maryland, many other jurisdictions, you're still in a position where government buildings, courts, places like that have an indoor mask mandate, uh, but places like the grocery store, the movie theater, it's pretty much up to the individual. Mm. And so is there a reason for this inconsistency across the greater Washington area? Was there ever an effort to really make it consistent? So we really haven't seen consistent movement across the D.C. area since the, the shutdowns in March 2020, right? So many of those things, when we got some of the data and, and the fact that the virus was now spreading rapidly throughout communities, especially on the East Coast in places like New York, many D.C. area jurisdictions held regular press conferences, shut things down, urged people to do things like wear masks, not go to the grocery store too frequently. And ever since then, everyone has really moved independently, which is a really interesting perspective. And there was actually uh, a Ward 4 D.C. resident who said to me, she lives on a part of a street that is in D.C. And the end of her street is actually considered Montgomery County, Maryland. And when you consider the interconnectedness of the region, there really has not, since things shut down, even the reopening, once things started to open back up again, there has not been a really comprehensive effort to get things opening up and get public safety standards on the same page. Right. And it's left a lot of people frustrated with leadership, frustrated with transparency, but also making decisions based on jurisdiction and not where they live, right? So there was one parent I spoke to who said, I am going to do my grocery shopping now in Montgomery County, Maryland, because there is an indoor mask mandate versus in D.C. where there is not an indoor mask mandate any longer. And so that is the level of thinking that is really going into people making decisions in the whole region right now. Mm, right. Yeah. And like viruses really don't have borders in the sense that, you know, counties and, and cities do. Um, and you mentioned, you know, that one person who's going to be grocery shopping elsewhere. What else have you been hearing from the community as far as these mask mandates go, the inconsistencies? What struggles and challenges does it bring up? So there are really two ends of this debate. And then there's where most public health experts lie, which is that middle ground. Mm -hmm. And so there are some people on the one hand who say 
we have done everything we possibly could to keep safe, right? So we've been fully vaccinated. We got our boosters. We're wearing masks in crowded indoor public spaces. And so for us, we recognize that there is still a limited chance for severe hospitalization and death, but it is so rare that we are going to begin to look at this virus like it's the flu, like it's endemic. Right. And a a lot of people in that court, for example, are gym owners in D.C., right? Mm. So gym owners in D.C., even before the mask mandate was lifted in D.C. indoors, had advocated and begged the mayor's office, D.C. Health, for an exception to the indoor mask mandate, right? And they said, if we promise you that we will check everyone's vaccination status, Mm. can we drop the indoor mask mandate? And they were told no several times, and there were letters and hearings. And ultimately, what ended up happening there is the mayor's office said, no, you can't. We need to keep wearing masks indoors. And so in that camp are business owners who basically said, our businesses are suffering, right? People don't want to work out if they're fully vaccinated in a mask. It's hot. It's gross. And it might even be dangerous. Right. Then you have the other side. And, and I spoke to many of these folks recently. And that's parents of young children who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. And in places like D.C., where the mask mandate indoors is no longer required, those are the people who are making different choices, right? So it's important to note that All of the data suggests that although those kids can't be vaccinated, kids don't get severely ill in most cases from COVID. Uh, It's it's extremely, extremely rare. And there is a vaccine that potentially could be authorized for emergency use into 2022. But right now there's not. And so there is a lot of fear and concern among these parents who, despite the fact that they're fully vaccinated and they're surrounding their kids with fully vaccinated people, fear that their kids might get sick. There, There was one D.C. resident I spoke to who actually got infected with the coronavirus in in May of 2020, spent nine days in the hospital, Mm. has an unvaccinated, not yet eligible to be vaccinated child, Mm. and and says, we're not exposing my children to anybody until they're able to be fully vaccinated. Right. And, And that's really the other side of the camp. And so most people in the public health community are in the middle. And they're saying... You could do things safely, right? There are things that we know now can be done safely. You don't need to wipe down your groceries. Surface transmission is rare. You don't need to wear a mask outside. Outdoor transmission is extremely rare. And so there are most people who are in the middle who basically say, when you're in an indoor crowded space, when you're in a grocery store, when you're in a movie theater, you're going to a sporting event that's inside, you're at a concert, if they're not checking vaccination status, and you're in an area of what the CDC calls substantial transmission or high transmission to wear your, your mask inside. Right. Uh, and it really is, is as simple as that. I mean, it's that spectrum. It's the we're going to continue masking. We're not going to continue masking because we're vaccinated. And then there's that middle ground of uncertainty. And, and that's where I think a lot of people fall right now. Right. And what's difficult, I think, from what I've observed is Montgomery County kind of did that. You know, they're, they're really having that metric as their indicator and catalyst for either changing the mask mandate, for bringing it back or putting it away. But it creates confusion, despite it being tied to this metric. And I think that is also creating some sort of tumult and just frustration among people. So the thing that's really fascinating, and and you mentioned the virus not having borders, not knowing borders, right? Right. So Montgomery County Executive Mark Elrich called the move for D.C. to eliminate its mask mandate indoors at the time that Montgomery County is bringing theirs back. He called it premature. D.C. Mayor Miro Bowser said when asked about Montgomery County, I don't know what they do. The problem with those two contrasting responses is exactly the fact that you could travel from one area to another and the rules are different. 
And the problem with that is Montgomery County's mask mandate is attached to a metric. D.C.'s mask mandate was lifted with some data that was discussed at a press conference, but really we don't fully know Mm. what metric D.C. used to lift the mandate. And you're also looking at D.C. actually recently dipped into high community spread, according to CDC guidance. So they they recommend indoor masking if you're in substantial transmission. But uh, D.C. actually recently went into that high category. And when you're not – when you have a region – that is trying to recover economically, is mm. trying to get back people back into offices, and there's so much travel that goes on between all of these jurisdictions, not just D.C. and Montgomery County, you're looking at a situation where people don't know the rules. Mm. And that just creates endless confusion. I mean, there was one gym owner who, as I mentioned, had been advocating for eliminating the indoor mask mandate, who I spoke to after Mayor Miro Bowser did away with it. And I asked about that confusion, and the response was, People are so confused about the rules that someone from Northern Virginia might attend a gym class in D.C. at the time when D.C. was still requiring masks. And they would show up without a mask, unaware that there was an indoor mask mandate in D.C. Mm-hmm. And they would be so surprised and shocked that this gym owner said to me, it's almost as if they're, they're so scared. They're like, what did I sign up for? I, I now have to do this exercise class in a mask. Right. And there's just so much uncertainty. Uh, and, you know, one expert I spoke to said – we're going to get to a point where this is going to become a personal decision, whether you're going to wear a mask, where you're going to wear a mask, mm. and it's not going to be a government decision. But this expert said we're not there yet because enough people are not vaccinated, and right. there are some people not eligible to be vaccinated. And so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of factors at play here. Yeah, and I think that shift from pandemic to endemic seems to be in the near-ish future, but things can change. We're seeing that you know, even now with this new variant and a lot of questions surrounding it. And going forward... Do you suspect that there will be more flip-flopping, maybe just with Montgomery County? Or do you think, you know, D.C. will bring it back? Do you think Prince George's County will will take it out? Yeah, and, and experts seem to believe that there will become a time where that happens universally. But again, that we're not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in the middle of what experts are saying is an anticipated new winter wave where it's getting cooler in parts of the country. People are doing more things indoors. People have pandemic fatigue. They don't want to wear their mask. They don't want to think about eating outside. And when you have all of those components at play, it creates a rise in cases, which we're seeing pretty notably in the D.C. region. And so it becomes up to the individual to make those choices, right? But Mm. at this point in time, one thing that, that several public health experts and officials continue to say is what has sort of been repeated almost every single day, that vaccines are extremely effective against severe hospitalization and death, that testing, particularly rapid at-home testing, has become more widespread available Mm. and and has become more affordable for people who couldn't afford it before in, in some cases. And there are these therapeutics down the line that are just oral could be picked up at a pharmacy and in preliminary results received incredibly promising, promising uh, results in terms of taking it and reducing the impact in the first few days of having to, to go to the hospital uh, or, or death in some cases. And so those don't replace vaccines, but they do complement them. Right. And all of these factors create a world in which we're going to have to live with COVID, right? And it's one question that I've asked all of the public health experts I've spoken to. People are constantly saying, we're just going to have to learn to live with COVID. What does that mean? Mm. What does that look like? Right. And, and that looks like a world where we have vaccines, we have therapeutics, 
And we're not shutting down because our hospital systems are not overwhelmed. But as much reason for optimism as there is and hope and pandemic fatigue and, you know, kids in schools wearing masks and some non eligible vaccinated, there are so many things at play here. But the one consistent answer is we're just not there yet. We're mm-hmm. not at a place where we could say COVID is like the flu. Right. We're just not there. Yeah. Yeah, we can see it, but it's not. It's not there. No. And what's at stake with that? If you act as if we are there, but we're not, uh, does that push, you know, there being endemic further back? It does. It does. And I think, you know, many people don't want to see that. And it, it creates this division, which, you know, we already talked a little bit about, where you have everyone having to make decisions at the personal level. And again, experts have said, we're really not there yet. But some people are already having to do that, right? So, for example, Thanksgiving last week, when you look at all of those gatherings and what's at play there, you could do at-home rapid tests. You can ensure everyone is fully vaccinated. But there are a lot of other things for some families to consider, right? Is there a child, as was the case in some folks that I spoke to, some parents that I spoke to, under five, not eligible to be vaccinated? They're fully safe if everyone else is fully vaccinated or Mm. as safe as they could be, but there's still an element of risk there. Right. And- when you look at individual interactions, are there immunocompromised people? Mm. Are there folks who are undergoing chemotherapy for whom the vaccines may not trigger as strong of an immune response? And all of those things have to be considered. And we're not there yet because the list of diseases, the list of high-risk conditions, I mean, I don't know that many people realize what percent of the country really falls into at least one of those high-risk conditions. We're talking about things as basic as hypertension, a BMI that puts you in the obese range. And that's a substantial part of the country that even an otherwise healthy person could be at risk for severe COVID Mm. on paper. And so as much as I think people have pandemic fatigue, they're over it, there's still so many people in the middle ground, right? There are not so many people who are scared for their unvaccinated children because they could be vaccinated. There are not so many people screaming, you know what, we're not going to wear masks at all because we're fully vaccinated. There are so many people whose voice I don't know that we've heard as much because we're speaking to public health officials, we're speaking to politicians. There are so many people in the middle who make that decision to go grocery shopping in Montgomery County because masks are required so that they don't have to be around people who are are not masked and may not be vaccinated in D.C., and so it's just this middle ground. And until we get to a place with a higher vaccine coverage, fewer cases, warmer weather, uh, this is kind of the world we're living in. I mean, it's uh, that's why we call it, is it normal yet, right? And and the answer I think many, many uh, public health officials would tell you is no, it, it's not. We're yeah. not there yet. Not yet. Not yet. And, and just as we finish up, to return back to this item of masks, you know, it was the first kind of tool we saw against this pandemic. But there is this sort of disdain that has like grown for masks in particular that I don't think many other tools have have kind of garnered, um, but they still are an effective tool. Yeah, and they reduce transmission. I mean, study after study has shown that they reduce transmission. And the thing that I have really sought the answer to in, in communicating with experts on this is why is this such a controversial and divisive topic? Like, it's so effective, and, and it's like people ran at the opportunity to get vaccines. People, over, even in some cases, overcame vaccine hesitancy. Why were masks so controversial? Why are they garnering this extremely passionate mm. response from business owners, from politicians? 
And the answer that I'm given routinely is it was politicized. And that's just the, the reality is different parts of the country decided at different times that masks would be required or not required mm. in different phases of reopening, in different phases of whether you're vaccinated or not, do you need to wear a mask or not. And because of all of this, people are confused. They're burnt out. And they're saying, you know what? Fully vaccinated or not, I'm going to make the decision I want to make for my family and for myself. And that's that's where we are. That's that's the state of the pandemic that we're in at the moment. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan's office tells WTOP that state health officials will meet this Monday and discuss the Omicron variant. In the Commonwealth, Governor Ralph Northam's office urged all Virginians to get vaccinated in light of the new variant, a message Dr. Anthony Fauci echoed on NBC this Sunday. This is a clarion call as far as I'm concerned of saying, let's put aside all of these differences that we have and say, if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you're fully vaccinated, get boosted and get the children vaccinated also. No word from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser on the Omicron variant. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat. Join me next Monday as the world recovers.